0: Go to Bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's Bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk, for woodworkers
1: by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who, if combined, would make one hell of a
0: woodworker. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 293 for February 1st, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about our lathe situations, first tools for the hybrid woodworker, knockdown hardware, and bench versus mortise chisels. All that and more coming up. But first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, Brusso. Bruso Hardware provides high quality American made woodworking hardware for furniture, cabinets, boxes, and more. Woodtalk listeners can use coupon code Woodtalk for 10% off your first order at Bruso.com. And we talk about Bruso all the time. We love those guys. Really super high quality hardware, uh, second to none, honestly. You got to check them out, Bruso.com, and use that code Woodtalk for 10% off. Uh, we'd also like to thank a few special folks who helped us out with donations David Lemuel Joseph Mench, Mench I always have trouble with his last name I'm going to go with Mench and uh, Vic Hubbard thank you so much guys for your very generous donations uh, it's, it's folks like you who keep the lights on here because uh, you know Shannon's not giving me any money that's for sure nope. cheap guy yeah hey, what do you have to say for yourself sir uh, where's my money okay there go. <clears throat> checks in the mail uh, now you can help out too if you want to just go to woodtalkshow.com look for those donation links in the right hand column and uh, if you do we're going to thank you at the beginning of the show just like we did for Vic and Joseph and David because uh, we really appreciate it and that's kind of the only way we know how to say thank you other than saying thank you directly but that's even better because then thank people you. get to hear your name so yeah thank you thank you alright let's move into what's on the bench it's been a busy week for me uh, working on loose tenons for this bed and got sidetracked, the loose tenon thing, that was fine. Uh, it's great when you make stuff with a multi-router and then you could size your tenon stock to be a perfect fit. It's all awesome, so that's boring to talk about. I'm going to talk about my little diversion with my indoor, um, well not indoor, but air quality meter that I purchased. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty awesome, and uh, it's one of those things where you know we make these decisions about what we do in the shop, especially people like us who have to stop what we're doing, turn on the camera, and start talking. And that talking means you're breathing and you you don't have a mask on or anything. So uh, quite frequently, just the nature of the business is we're breathing in dust that most people might be able to keep their respirator on for uh, in those periods of time. So I've always wondered and I've always, you know, in my mind speculated about like, oh, the shop air is probably clean enough. You know, and you just start doing it and I'm like, well, maybe I should probably get some facts to back this stuff up. And also like, how effective is my air cleaner? Is it better to open the windows and turn on a fan or is it better to close the windows and turn on the air filter? You know, little things like that. How much much does your dust collector leak? You know, a lot of people worry about uh, canister filters and bags. Well, put one of these uh, uh, you know, uh, meters next to it and turn the thing on and you'll have some actual numbers to go with it and see how far away from that thing uh, th- those uh, particles wind up going. We get questions all the time about people with basement workshops or attached garage workshops who want to know if the shop is affecting the indoor air quality. Well, you're only guessing unless you have something that actually tests it. So anyway, this thing was like a $200, two, maybe $220, I can't remember the exact price, but a $200 something or other investment that was totally worth it. Because now I feel like, okay, now this makes sense. And one thing I learned very quickly, even in my house, is that if, if it's warm enough for the windows to be open, open the windows. Because the indoor air quality uh, like immediately skyrockets when you actually uh, open those windows and let fresh air in. It was amazing. I had no idea. That, I mean, hmm. Maybe it's common sense for other people. I mean, but for me, I had no idea. So uh, that was a big deal, and I, I kind of used that knowledge and moved it over to the shop and said, well, you know, instead of. Uh, closing the door and windows and expecting everything to kind of filter within the shop. Let me see what happens after a full day, leave the windows open, get good cross ventilation, uh, open the front door, keep the fans on, and see how quickly uh, the dust gets out of there. That was way more effective than any other thing that I've done in the shop. So what I've started to do is th- go down to the th- thought process of ventilation as opposed to like focusing so much on air cleaners, right? So if I could put a big you know, ventilation fan in the back of the shop and open the front door, try to get that real you know, active ventilation going on, that may be a much more effective way to clear out the shop at the end of the day rather than just try to capture it all with a filter. Uh, so, that was pretty cool, very enlightening, and uh, definitely recommend this if you guys r- want to get to the bottom of the whole dust situation and how much you're exposing yourself to. Uh, totally worth a couple hundred bucks investment if it means uh, getting some insights into things that could affect your health in the future. You know, so good stuff. Uh, there was one other thing I wanted to say about it, and I just cannot remember. I know that when I left the
1: house this morning, because they projected, uh, forecasted it would be warmer today in the 50s yeah. today, mm-hmm. first thing I did before I left the house was open a bunch of windows. Because you had shared some of these numbers with me via uh, text, and <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I'm telling my wife, like, you know, this is what Mark did. And, and like, then he went in and measured his house, and it was like four times worse than his
0: wood shop. Yeah. It's like, we need to open the windows more. Yeah, well, that was the thing that, that, I, that I forgot about. So I tested the house. Now, the number is going to be irrelevant. They give you a scale. I can give you the details later. But the number in the house was reading 150. And they said that in indoor you should be able to get it down with, you know, whether you're using filtration or fresh air, you should be able to get it down to read like 25 to 50. And that's a good reading. So I opened the doors and the windows and I got it there just by getting fresh air. Take it out to the shop. Now I hadn't been in the shop within about, well, since the the day before. And when I left the shop, I put my air filter on, five hour timer, highest speed possible, closed the windows and doors and just left. When I went in there the next morning, I put it on there. It was reading nine (laughs) <laughs> for the small particle number. So the shop, I was like re- super impressed that it was able to do that. Um, but the realistic, like the thing we're dealing with the most is what happens when you're actually in the shop? What's the quickest way to get that crap out so that I could take my mask off and then start talking to the camera? Um, so that that's a whole different issue. But I was pleasantly surprised to see that when I walk in every morning and I have my coffee in hand and I'm getting ready to start working, answering a few emails in the shop, that it's actually a pretty healthy environment to breathe in which is very nice to see so yeah. highly recommend it I'll put a link in the the show notes in the what's on the bench section if you want to check this thing out but I'll, I'll be doing videos I'm just kind of gathering data at this point I'm really excited about it because it's given me such good insights into things I, I really was just guessing at before um, but I'll definitely share the, the model and the make of uh,
2: the one that I've got so pretty darn cool I just want to say that I, that's something I wanted to mess around with for like the longest time as well ever since I saw those air quality meters uh-huh. I think, because I, you, you know it's like, so much crap is floating around in the air yeah. after you do something or whatever. And I know my dust collection isn't that great either because, like, my canister filter, every single time I turn the dust collector on, it, like, starts to, like, rocket ship off the top. And then there's, like, a cloud of dust that comes out right. from beneath the canister. <laughs> totally. because the You know, the seal's not great. And then it kind of settles down and then stops leaking the stuff. You're like, oh, I, that my dust collector is literally blowing that crap right back into the yeah. air. So I'm going to go on the other side of the shop now. <laughs> yeah, right. It's so a little nerve wracking. The, the quality meter and then like, I know the dust collector isn't this, as strong enough as it could be for the whole shop. So uh, what, like those airspeed things are like an anemometer. Is that what those are called? Those airspeed tester oh, things? I don't know. That's a I don't Let's, call it,
0: Let's call it that. That's what, air I, oh, that's what air they speed call tester. a wind speed device. Yeah, so sure. Yeah, that thing. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Now, do you, I guess where you live, it's not really feasible because of the weather. Um, but have you considered like venting outside with the dust collection or anything along those lines? It's a pretty drastic thing to do, but that, that's what I've done here and that's what I'm about to do again. Because rather than trusting a filter stack to, you know, trusting my lungs to a filter stack, I'd rather just blow the crap outside and not have to deal with it in the shop at all. But I don't have as, I mean, even in the summer, my air conditioning can keep up with that. It's not a, a problem, but I imagine it's pretty darn cold. Uh, sometimes <laughs> during the year for you, so
2: yeah, it's for the winter months that'd be a problem, but in the summer it wouldn't be that bad. I don't sure. have air conditioning in the shop anyway.
0: Okay, well that would be your air conditioning. Just put a nice cube somewhere in the area, <laughs> <laughs> old school style. There you go. Nice. Well, we actually um, we kind of have a
1: kickback. It was sent in as a what's new comment, but uh, I dropped it into kickback. That oh. actually might help with that. So. We'll revisit this topic. Okie dokie. <clears throat> the only thing I could say about the air quality thing is, to me, it would end up being, like, one of those label makers We <laughs> just start putting labels on everything. I would just start measuring air quality everywhere, like, go into the room and measure the air quality, then put, like, a farting dog in there and measure it again <laughs> just to see, you know. You know, I, 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 I wasn't going to mention this.
0: I wasn't going to mention this, but I have actually been keeping it on, and I haven't been very gassy, uh, but I was waiting – to fart near it and see what happens to the numbers. Yeah. That would be well, an amazing test.
1: And, and, and I would do the same thing, but then I would compare it to the dog. <laughs> right. <You laughs> I'm
0: pretty certain with the fire and brimstone
1: that comes out his backside. Yeah, his farts are much worse than He would win yours. the Air Quality Pollution Award.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, good stuff. Love it. All right. Well, highly recommend Test your farts,
2: everyone. It's very important. Well, um, you heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. So this, this week, kind of the same thing as the last couple weeks, still working on the sofa table. I just came in from the shop. I just finished up the inlay in the top so that I can flush it up after the show here and do the finish on the top Nice. and move on with that. So I'm looking forward to that. Got a lot of editing done. It's been very productive in the editing department. A lot of time starting at um, the computer screen. Always fun. It is. I took the time. log trailer out again this week. Always fun. But the difference from the last two weeks is I made something. I made a little gift box in the shop one evening for my wife for her birthday. And that was a fun little project. Quick, nice. A little quickie.
0: Very sweet. Yes. Did she this like is, it? Did she?
2: Oh, um, she yeah, like she actually really liked it. Cool. Sorry. It was very surprising. You said what? quickie. I had to go with it. Yeah.
0: I was I was going to just let it drop. You know, because yeah, that's no, the mature yeah. thing to do, Shannon. I, I can't. <laughs> well, Matt Vandalus isn't here anymore. so somebody's going to take <laughs> yeah. up the uh, gutter talk. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs>
1: Well, let's see. Uh, I talked a couple of shows ago, or last show, who knows, about um, my sharpening station. Mm -hmm. And I made the first cuts on that. I started to break down the sheet of cherry plywood that I have um, actually left over from the um, uh, Woodworkers Fighting Cancer build. And it was just a reminder of how I don't like having full sheets of plywood in my shop. (laughs) Because now that it's like cut down into manageable parts, it's like I just regained – it feels like I just regained like twice the shop space because I don't have that thing kicking there over in the corner. I just I don't have the space to store full sheets of plywood. So this full sheet's been sitting there for, gosh, three or four months now. And and now that it's actually stacked into smaller pieces, it, yeah, I just got like an upgrade on my shop side. It's very nice. <laughs> nice. So there you go. Now I got to find the time to go and turn those little pieces into something instead of just having a stack of little pieces. But still, it's it's nice to have a little bit more elbow room again.
0: Nice. Yeah. can never have too much space. All right, let's move into what's new. This is where you send us some things or we found some cool stuff online that we'd like to share with you. First one I have here is from Jerry or Gary. If it's G-E-R-R-Y, do you say Gary or Jerry? Yes. I'll let Mark say it. Jerry. How's that? Uh, Let's see. I want to share this great video of an Israeli woodworker, Gil Arad, now if it's Gil do you pronounce no I'm just kidding um, it was shared in Popular Woodworking Magazine's daily update that I received this week so it's a nice Vimeo classic classic Vimeo woodworking video with great visuals amazing shots uh, and it's an Israeli guy making a piece of furniture exactly as Gary Jerry said so uh, go check it out it's a it's a fun to watch a little video very nice uh, this next one, I,
1: I don't remember where it came from. It was dropped in a, in a different non-woodworking-related forum. Mm. And somebody like at mentioned me saying, hey, would you build this? Um, it's a marketing forum that I frequent. And it is uh, uh, what? From geektyrant.com. And it's a woodworker that made a Millennium Falcon and a Robotech mech. And actually, he's also made an X-Wing fighter if you scroll down enough. And the detail on this Millennium Falcon is awesome. Stupid this awesome. Is, yes. Yeah. And it's big. I, I don't stupid know, big. You see a little bit of the scale. Um, and it's like it's it's gotta be at least six feet across. It's a big, big Millennium Falcon. Yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna get started on that after I do my sharpening station.
0: So when you yeah. do this, like when you make this kind of thing, um, and I guess you you find this with a lot of stuff, especially with a lot of YouTubers who make these crazy things. Unless you have a place to put it and a place to like or someone wants to put it on display someplace like important and cool, other than the little buzz you get from when you first make it and put it online. what do you do with this thing <laughs> right it's It's fantastic. <laughs>
1: You know, and, well, it's, and it's you know, same, like, Star Wars is pretty cultish. I'm sure you could find somebody out there willing to buy it. Well, that's the thing. Do you, you know? sell
0: it? You know, and I have the same questions for things like, um, like Izzy Swan makes, right? Like his big walking dinosaur. Like once you do it a few <laughs> times, and you're like, oh, this is fun. I've got a giant wooden walking dinosaur. What the hell do you do with it after a while?
1: Right. Like you yeah, put it, on it the when wall. you show it to your wife, and she goes, "That's nice. Now get rid
0: of it." Yeah, it's not going in the living room, honey. Um, you know, so these things make for great content, but then realistically, what do you do with it? Now this one's a different story because this this has to be on display somewhere right there's too much work uh put into it and it looks really good so it should i
1: recommend he facebook message kevin smith it'll be sold in seconds (laughs) yeah just take it to the secret stash and it'll be sold in seconds yeah
0: very cool love that thing all right that's it for what's new let's get into our kickback first one here is from steve he says i want to thank mark for answering my questions about uh, milling and concern for waste he says before i even had a chance to ask it Uh, I'm also in the process of making a king-size bed frame and felt really torn about milling so much from an eight-quarter stock uh, for the long rails. Excuse me, Uh, I'm going to skip through some of this here. He says, even though everything worked out for me, I felt that the seemingly wasteful and overly safe choice was a mark of inexperience in lumber selection and skill in milling. Basically, I wondered if I was more skilled would I have wasted less? I guess it was okay and sometimes you have to change your perspective as parts get longer and joinery gets more complicated. I would just like to say that hearing Mark finding himself in the same quandary as a professional was simply refreshing to hear and one of the reasons why I always tune in. Now, I don't make any claims about, about that being the right way. You can hear how I had my own doubts because I'm like, is maybe I was saying the same thing. Well, maybe if I were more skillful, <laughs> maybe I would be able to do this without so much waste. Um, but yeah, all we're here to do is kind of share our experiences and hopefully they uh, are in alignment with yours. But yeah, I I couldn't think of any other way to do it. So glad to see that Steve came to the same conclusion. And I think you guys kind of agreed with me. Sometimes there's only so much you can do.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, as a counterpoint to that, (coughs) Will wrote in and said, regarding resawing versus planing, when you need to remove a lot of stock, apart from being less wasteful, I find resawing off a quarter inch is way faster than planing it. If you have a smaller planer, not to mention it's easier, for me at least, to dispose of scrap wood and avoiding having to empty the dust collector, which I hate. You mm-hmm. here on that. Uh, plus, having shop-sawn veneers laying around can be useful. When we need some utility drawers inside a kitchen cabinet last month, I reached for some Sapele offcuts and made uh, taking stock from eight-quarter to six-quarter, and voila! Our simple plywood drawers got three 16th-inch veneers on the fronts and cabinet frame. Simple, free, and beautiful. I try to use these soft-cut de- veneers on lots of simple projects that can benefit from an added touch. So there you go. It's a good point. Very I think nice. it's one of those things where, you know, in his case, he had sapele. So, yeah, that makes sense. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. poplar, <laughs> veneer, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, just simple Some domestics. poplar can be quite beautiful. Some yeah. poplar.
0: Um, be you know, just as an aside, speaking of dumping uh, bins of, of wood dust, I had to do that today. Totally stupid thing. Didn't realize that I had a T8, like an old... T8 bulb that had gone bad sitting in the big garbage can kind of at an angle so I didn't notice it and I dumped my 55 gallon drum in there and crack and there's glass and dust and everything everywhere and thankfully I had like full protective gear on when it happened because there could have been shards of glass uh, shooting at my face so yeah that was a experience today had nothing, good, nothing specific to do with what you just talked about, but it just came to mind. These are the, hey, these things are,
1: are the bringing things. it all back to just
0: about you, Mark. That's these, good. yeah, hey, that's the, really the most important thing right now, isn't it? Let's be honest. Uh, all right, Matt, you're up. <laughs> 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 all right, this make one sure you talk Mark. about Mark while you do this. Is this that's one okay. about me? Because if not, let's just not do it.
2: I could, I could probably spin it that way <laughs> okay. for you if, you if you love. like <laughs> perfect. All right, this one is from Adam. Um, he says, "I'm the guy who mentioned the semi-trailer oak flooring." And if you're not familiar this is from before my time when probably Mark was probably talking about this on the show there you about go. how you can get proclaimed you can get book It probably was from me. That might right. Good job. I'm sure. Sure. Probably, I don't yeah. know.
1: <laughs> that that was in the before Matt time. Oh wait. Yes. That doesn't work.
0: Damn. <laughs> oh yeah. That doesn't work at all.
1: Anyway, <laughs> yeah, and if we've BM that goes a different direction too.
0: But I'm both
2: he goes on and say to clarify what I meant, you can go to any semi-trailer parts store and get new oak flooring, and by all means don't don't get reclaimed semi flooring. Trust me, I've tried it's not easy to work with. He also says that here's my thoughts on my thoughts to aspiring woodworkers. It's not about the lumber you work with, it's what you do with it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Wow. Pine, for example, it's cheap. <laughs> Uh oh, anyway, <laughs> but with a vision, <laughs> this is going to be hard.
0: <laughs> Work it out, son. Work it out.
2: I'm working. I'm working real hard. Oh, boy. With a vision as to what, wants to what one wants to build, anything is possible. Creativity has no limitations. If you have the passion, you will build it. Cheers, wood dudes. Very it's like nice. a public
1: service announcement.
0: <clears throat> yeah, it kind of was.
1: We need like LeVar Burton to read it or something.
2: <laughs> That'd be good. He's
0: probably <laughs> free. He's not doing anything. Uh, All right, where are we? Okay, so next one here is from, wait a minute, what's his name? Oh, is his name Mark? No. I think it's Mark. Maybe it is. Okay, Mark with a C. He spells it right too. Great. Uh, He (laughs) says, in a recent PC, I'm guessing that's his abbreviation for podcast, you mentioned your use of a domino would probably bring up some negative comments. I thought I also said you caught flack. It's very confusing to read this for uh, cleanliness in your shop. Uh, He says, I find it curious as I too like to keep a clean shop yet. I've had the same negative feedback. Nice tool museum and uh, don't (laughs) understand it. Any comment? Thanks and keep up the excellent work. You guys rock. Uh, You know, my only comment is some people are stupid. <laughs> uh you know what reference it, the air cleaner quality thing earlier that's that's a good
1: reason right there
0: yeah there you go uh, <laughs> it, uh bottom line it's the internet and you're going to find stupid people and stupid people say stupid things and frankly when someone takes a picture of their shop and it looks clean uh the natural instinct of uh, stupid people is to say you don't even use that shop uh or you know smart people look at it and say oh maybe he actually vacuumed after he did, you know made wood <laughs> dust Weird. Uh, so yeah, I don't know I, I'm, I'm being a little facetious here, but honestly, I get the same comment all the time. it's just something people say it's like looking at a pristine kitchen and saying, "Well, clearly they never cook in there because a you know a used kitchen has to look dirty. Um, the reality is some of us like to keep our environments very, very clean, and the shop is just one of those, and uh, I guess some people just don't understand it and there's nothing wrong with that to each their own, but you know it's the internet people just like to say stuff.
1: I don't know about you. If I see a dirty kitchen, I eat somewhere else.
2: <coughs> yeah, maybe
0: dirty. that's a good point, huh? If it's too if it's too dirty, you know, but, but if it's a it's difference
2: easy. between dirty and messy.
0: Yeah, see that's it. If it's messy, then you could eat there because you know there's like a genius chef who just doesn't know how to clean anything. <sighs>
2: organize things. Yes. He can
0: clean. He can just can organize That's things. it. That's it. Right. All right.
1: Okay. <clears throat> well, I mentioned this earlier, but uh, Tim wrote in and he said, I recently had to have my oil burner replaced. There goes my tool money for a while. Anyway, the installer noticed I had a wood shop in the basement, the same room as the furnace, and suggested a fresh air kit. For an extra 130 bucks, they put a hole in the wall. <laughs> yeah, I'd do that for free. <clears throat> and, and what looks like a dryer vent from the outside brings in fresh air so my furnace no longer gets clogged up with sawdust from the shop. Which is good, because when I used to get the furnace cleaned each year, the guy used to chew me out about how I shouldn't have this stuff in the same room <laughs> as my furnace. <laughs> this stuff. Shut nice. up, guy. all
0: this crap out of here. What does he know? Um,
1: I wanted to share this because I figure, like me, many people do not know a fresh air kit is an option. I also used to be worried about using flammable finishes in the basement. With a furnace drawing outside air, finishing will be a lot safer, too. Well... Uh, maybe, but <laughs> you might make a bit of a leap there. It's still flammable near a yeah, pilot. Still line. wouldn't I be
0: spraying think. that stuff near your furnace. Yeah. So
2: yeah you especially might, with that too. Cause that's like what that is, is just because he's, his furnace is combusting the internal air. Right. Interesting. Hmm. So it's not, a, it's not a high efficiency furnace that takes the air directly from outside. I have one here. So I have, it's literally a dryer vent that just is sitting there. And then because the house has negative pressure, air just comes down this tube. And a tube is right there by the the burner, basically in front mm. of the furnace.
0: Okay. Oh, interesting stuff.
2: I, yeah, that is interesting.
0: Yeah, I don't have any comments on it just because we don't really have that kind of stuff here. <laughs> <laughs> so, like <What>, heat. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's not much worry about it, but <laughs>
2: uh, artificial heat.
0: Pretty cool. So, so I wonder, hmm, 130 bucks. That's not bad. I mean, I guess it might depend on how much of a run they have to make to access the fresh air for the basement, but. Pretty yeah. cool. Pretty cool idea.
1: But still, if it's if it's some sort of like louvered vent that can be open and closed, that could be an option that like you were talking about earlier, Mark, where you could actually make it easier to vent. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Um And if you put like two of them in,
0: maybe get some cross ventilation.
1: That might be a, a good oh, thing a just from an air quality perspective.
0: Yeah. Cool idea. All right, cool. Let's get into our featured topic today. And I don't, uh, unfortunately. Don't Again? Have, yeah, we have another one. Two weeks in a row. <laughs> it's like we're uh, making a habit out of it. Uh, this one here is inspired from a question we got from a gentleman named Sam Knight. Uh, so he says, I started my woodworking journey about six years ago but have recently been bitten by the turning bug. Uh-oh. I know that Mark, yeah I know right, and uh, Mark and Shannon at least own a lathe, not sure about the new mat and was wondering if you guys could include in your podcast the segment about turning. I have searched and searched for podcasts that directly discuss turning and as the main topic but to no avail. Thanks guys, love the show. Now Sam, we're not going to Probably not going to be able to do a segment on a like recurring basis, maybe once a year, if that's uh, if that works for you. Um, but
2: no, Next honestly, time Shannon builds a lathe. Yeah, exactly.
0: That yeah. uh, We did actually have a whole series of shows where all we talked about was uh, lathes from <laughs> Shannon's perspective. Uh, right, just go to the "What's on the Bench" section in 2014. Yeah, and, uh,
1: that's all. Yeah, splice that them is. all
0: together; it'll be fine. Um, you know, the thing is, we might do a little bit of turning here and there, but as a group, it just. With the phone, don't they know I'm doing a podcast over here? <laughs> um, ultimately, we just don't do a ton of turning, so it's hard for us to 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 talk about it routinely. Uh, that said, you know what? We'll try to keep our eye out for more lathe questions because we could use a little bit more balance with that. Uh, That's true. So, yeah, let's talk about the lathe situation here. I'll, I'll go first because mine do you is find it, very quick. I'm sorry. Do you find it interesting that there
1: aren't any wood turning podcasts? No. I mean, I realize that woodworking podcasts in general, you know, in the grand scheme of things, there's not very many of us. Um, <clears throat> I know I got not accused, but labeled as a wood turning podcast. When I first started the Renaissance woodworker, Mm -hmm. because my first like four episodes were about turning because I looked at the market and said, Hey, no one's talking about turning. So like with my one year of turning experience at that point, I did four episodes on that. So there you go. You can go look at really (laughs) early, really bad uh, episodes of the Renaissance (laughs) woodworker, but still, I mean, that was eight years ago. There still is nothing out
0: there on turning. Does it not play in audio? I don't know. (laughs) I, I mean, it, I don't think it would be any worse in audio format than what we do. That's true. <laughs> you know what I mean. But I, I, I guess maybe it's just a niche within the niche, so it might not be as quickly covered. Um, I would imagine eventually. But you would think even in the first round of like podcasts that sprung up and came along, you would have thought someone would have yeah. done a turning podcast. But now in video, there have been some things. But I really don't remember anybody doing anything for audio podcasts dealing with turning. Interesting. There you go turning people. Yeah, Def someone on get that. on that. There's um, a void. Yeah, there's an opportunity there. Uh, so yeah, so I figured this would be a good excuse for us to talk about our, our setups and uh, what we use, what we do, what we turn, and what maybe what we don't do. Um, so for me, again, it's going to be a very quick conversation. I don't turn a lot. I turn for my furniture. Um, I've done bowls and a few basic vessels in the past. I, I've had fun with things like that. But ultimately, I don't know. So I, like he said, he got bit by the bug. I didn't get bit by the bug. So I've got a lathe, but it's just there to service my needs as a furniture maker. So I'll make pins and I'll make all kinds of little things and handles for things. Uh, I will, thinking of other stuff that I've made, spindles that I might have needed at times. But that's Empire really stakes. about it. Uh, yeah. Vampire stakes are very important, yes. Uh, which is just the really fancy pointy spindle. Um, so yeah, I've, I've done stuff like that, and I do have a very overpowered, overkill lathe for for that type of work because uh, that's just the way Spagnolo uh, does things. You should see my television. And um, yeah, I, it's a beautiful lathe, but it, it never lets me down. It's a great Powermatic. I think it's like the thirty-five something B, thirty-five hundred B's. I don't remember the exact number. Uh, thirty-five twenty. That yes, that one. Uh, fantastically. Then I figure, you know, someday I may want to get a little bit deeper and you just never know as a furniture maker and as someone who just kind of goes whichever direction the wind blows him. Whoa, that doesn't sound right. Uh, I go in whatever direction the wind blows (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I may someday <laughs> decide that I want to do like a big giant vessel and I need a huge swing on there and that lathe will, uh, will meet my needs. Uh, now I do have a nice set of, um, gouges and traditional turning tools. I've got a beautiful, uh, Ellsworth bowl gouge that I've used for years and I have not touched them in quite some time because I've, uh, been using the, um, easy wood tools. Uh, carbide insert tools and those uh, those do quite nicely if all you're doing is a couple of spindles and basic things uh, out of the year so um, overall pretty basic setup but definitely good equipment uh, I just don't use it that often so that's it for me uh, let's go to Matt we have to give Matt lots of time to talk someone uh, gave us crap for that so Matt <laughs> you, the next five and a half minutes uh, is yours go for it oh my oh boy all okay right, four minutes you wasted time don't screw it Too up late
2: <laughs> I try not to, you know, get off on those laughing tangents again. Um, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I have a lathe. I have a 16-inch grizzly lathe. It's the G uh, 632 I like to do a lot of uh, bowl turning. I don't really care that much for spindle turning, although I have done it in the past. I did some finials for my secretary desk and some urns for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've done pens as well. But the one thing I keep coming back to is the bowl turning because I just really, I just enjoy it because it's like you take a chunk of wood and you just put this piece of steel on it and like all these shavings come flying out everywhere and it's just, I don't know, it's a really fun experience. Yeah. And as someone who does a lot of furniture work, it's so awesome to go stand a lathe and then like, like put a piece of wood on there and like in five minutes you have a, a roughed up bowl. Yeah, instant gratification. It's, it's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. Um, as far as tooling go, I have like the most basic sets that has, you no know, high speed steel like the skew and the roughing gouge and whatever. Um, for my bowl turning, I just use two bowl gouges. I use two five eighths inch bowl gouges. So I have two edges that I can always have, you know, both of them are sharp and I can turn for longer between sharpenings. And, uh, they're just some cheapo $20, um, bowl gouges or $30 bowl gouges or whatever. Nice. And I have a, uh, Wolverine grinding jig on a slow speed grinder. That's pretty much the, uh, the highlights, I guess.
0: I got one of those too. Forgot to mention that. I'd be lost without it. Cause frankly, I mean, Shannon, do you what do you do for sharpening your tools? Um I still have a
1: tormec. That's the only reason I've still hung on to my tormec. Ah, okay. Um, I mean it's a it's a great sharpening tool for other things. It's just it doesn't really fit my 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 sharpening for my other tools. But I've hung on to that because I invested obviously in the wood turning jigs and they still do a really, really good job. But honestly, lately, um when it comes to my turning tools, I've adopted the same mentality as like my edge tools where I just sharpen more so they don't really need a lot of work. So I use a strop mm-hmm. and I use diamond um, – those little diamond paddles. I think I originally bought them for router bits way back when. Oh, yeah, the ones on the um, little
0: plastic stick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: and it's just one of those things where I can kind of hold the tool up to it and run it back and forth and it does a really good job. I think if I let them get really, really dull – it might be a different story. Hmm. And then I would break out the Tormac. But Smart. Yeah, I've got a nice Tormac that gathers dust more often than not. It's really kind of a shame.
0: Oh, very nice. Uh, so your setup, Shannon, or setups, <laughs> is it plural still? <laughs> <clears throat> well, you know, I'm like, um,
1: what was it, Sam? Uh, I definitely got bitten by the bug early on in my uh, woodworking career and it was the type of thing where i was still working in sales at the time and it was like this was the perfect tool that would allow me to crank out like little gifts that i could give to customers and clients at christmas time and everything and uh you know i i jumped into the pin turning thing and went off the deep end there and Try it I mean, basically, turn to like the project section of like the Penn State catalog or the, <laughs> the craft supplies catalog. I've turned just about everything in there, you yeah. know, because it was the perfect, simple, stupid, easy thing. Like, you know, oh, we're going to a Christmas party tonight, honey. We need a gift for the, the a hostess gift. All right, when are we leaving? 10 minutes? All right, give me five, you know, and you're down there. Bam, check out a bottle stopper and you're done. You know, th- there was something very, very cool about that. But at the same time, it turned me off to turning, um, making like, um, client gifts at Christmas and you turn 380 pins, you know, you start on your Christmas gifts in October and I get into this like assembly line thing. And I just got, I got exhausted with it. Frankly. Um, it just, it it was, it wasn't fun anymore. Um, easy wood tools came out and I kind of got launched back into it because it kind of made it idiot proof. You know, no need to worry about, you know, roll the tool here and angle the tool there and just kind of point and shoot. And so I, I regained a little bit of my love with easy wood tools. Uh, but even then, I, I dialed it back to be just about like kind of what I needed my furniture. You know, turn a shaker knob, you know, turn a, 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 a an offset leg or something like that. Um, in 2014, I went back to it, but I ditched the electric power and I built – A bungee lathe. I built uh, a a pole lathe based on an 18th century French design. Then I built a flywheel lathe uh, of my own design, (laughs) kind of brought together from a bunch of different designs. I I researched it for a while, worked with a bunch of treadle lathes at the museum. I played with one in Williamsburg and I came up with my own design. Absolutely love it. Uh, I can pull 1,500 RPMs without breaking a sweat on the thing. But then I got presented with an opportunity that I couldn't pass up, a chance to buy an 1875 Barnes uh, Velocipede pedal lathe, which is the same lathe we have at the Stepping Stone Museum that I've been using for five years or so. It's truly just a beast of a lathe and I always told myself if I ever got the opportunity to buy one, I would jump on it. Well, I did. So, I built all those nice lathes, and um then I brought this other one in, and now my other lathes won't speak to me anymore so <laughs> um actually, I have my my pole lathe set up in my shop right now because I was using it to, to make uh, campaign stools and I have my barnes lathe in my shop. my treadle flywheel lathe is actually in pieces right now uh I'm kind of looking forward to the day when I can reassemble it when I have the space to put it back. I don't intend on getting rid of it, but um you know it's 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 a love-hate relationship for me it's nice to kind of go back to the lathe in between bigger projects to kind of take a break and uh literally turn out some quick stuff <laughs> um but now that that i've gone to the foot power and i, sh- I should back up and say i never had a full size lathe i always just had a jet mini lathe and i still do i have it it's uh uh under a really, really thick heavy coat of um what's that stuff called bow shield <laughs> sitting in a corner of my basement um you know if i ever say screw this i want electric power uh, i'll pull that out got um, what you need and and one of the reasons i've kept it is my fear is that one day i'll have to go turn 380 pins again for something believe me my boss has hinted at that fact for our customer base <laughs> it's like well we'll we'll supply the wood that's like his concession <laughs> don't worry go. we'll supply the wood for you it's like thanks that's, that's great not what i was worried just about just go buy that's... keychains it's a lot cheaper a lot easier <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I jump back into it now that I'm doing it with foot power only. It's been kind of like starting over. Um, I had to relearn some techniques. Um, uh, not that the turning is necessarily different, but it, it you know, it's like, rubbing your stomach and patting your head you know you got to keep pedaling with your foot and turn at the same time and maintain a a clean consistent cut Uh, i discovered actually that i really love turning on a pole lathe i thought that i would be all about the flywheel lathe and the pole lathe is is a very different beast it's a lot of fun
0: Cool, sounds good yeah Uh, shannon i gave matt five minutes not you just Sorry. <laughs> Come Sorry. on, man. Get with it. Figured, no.
1: since, uh, you know, he
0: wanted to know about turning and I'm the guy who's probably done the most turning, so. Yeah, so hey, thanks for that, Sam, for the suggestion and once again, we'll be taking these featured topics basically from your questions and submissions. Some things just make good uh, three-person conversations like that and I uh, appreciate that, Sam. Thanks a lot. Let's move into our emails and I got the first one here from Joe. He says, I'm a power tool woodworker, but I'd really like to learn to use hand tools and move towards a more hybrid approach to woodworking. I don't own any planes or chisels and such. If I had $200 to $300 to spend, what should I grab to start my hand tool box with? Also, please suggest something for sharpening. Love the show, Joe. All right, so this is going to be a little bit self-serving. It's going to be a lot a bit self-serving. Uh, the first <laughs> thing you should do, Joe, is go to twwstore.com and buy a copy of Hybrid Woodworking. Because I spent a long time putting my thoughts on exactly what you should buy and giving you the information you need to know to make an informed purchase. Stop laughing, Matt. It's not that funny. Uh, If uh, if you really want to dig into it, this book is like 196 pages of all that information, including stuff about sharpening. Now, that said, I'll give you the, the nutshell version here when you're trying to incorporate the hand tools into the power tool shop it's a different approach than if you were building a shop you know from the ground up trying to do what Shannon does for instance. So we've got our primary milling stuff taken care of and that's the least fun stuff to do anyway. So those aren't the the tools that I would buy. A lot of people are like well which bench plane do I buy first? And for for this approach my answer is none of them. You don't really necessarily need them Mm -hmm. for what you're trying to do. So you have to ask yourself the two things that you might want to do. Which one appeals to you the most? Because really what you're doing is you're doing something for your own enjoyment of the craft, right? So you have to ask yourself, what do you find more enjoyable? Two routes you can go, finishing, or joinery, and I don't mean finishing as applying finish, I mean finish preparation. So you can do things with hand tools like surface prep that will make your life easier, it'll save on sandpaper, it'll give you even better results and a smoother surface. So you can go to things like scrapers, like a number 80 cabinet scraper or a good set of card scrapers, that's gonna save you tons of sandpaper. Uh, You could even go, if you wanted to, one of the uh, bench planes that I do recommend you pick up early on is a low angle jack plane. Excuse me, and you can have that thing tuned up for some smoothing operation. So, if the wood cooperates, you can actually do a little bit of smoothing on there and save yourself tons of time and surface prep right off of your power tools, just a swipe or two. Uh, is going to get you really, really great results. But the scrapers, I think, are a little, they're going to be cheaper and a little bit more approachable if you're new to this stuff. Now, if you wanted to go on the joinery side of things, there's a lot of different tools you could buy. These are the more specialized tools uh, that you don't necessarily see on the top list of hand tools to buy because people are, uh, you know, you're approaching it from, I already have a set of tools perspective. So, think about something like a rabbiting block plane. That's going to be fantastic for doing not only block plane tasks, but also cleaning up uh, cheeks of tenons. You could use it to clean uh, shoulders if you want to. And likewise, a shoulder plane is another option uh, that would be good for things like that. Uh, And don't discount the router plane. A router plane is fantastic for cleaning up dados, grooves, rabbits, all kinds of things that you do. You could even clean up the cheeks of tendons with them. There's a couple cool tricks you can employ uh, to keep support on both sides of the router plane and get good even results. And the great thing about the router plane is if you're coming from that power tool world, you understand a router plane right like a lot of hand tools will throw us off if we don't if we haven't used them before or haven't been taught how to use them but the router plane holds a blade at a fixed depth below the surface and there's nothing you know that's as, about as close to power tools as you can get in a non-powered world because you can't go further than the tool allows you to go so once the material stops cutting or that the tool stops cutting you are at the same depth and that's something you can count on from tenon to tenon or you know dado to data whatever you're doing with it so there's some choices for you but it depends on what you're you're looking to do and it's a very personal decision Um, I can't tell you exactly what to buy but that's uh, a couple of options for you to consider but definitely go get that book because I highly recommend it it's really good. Uh,
2: yeah <laughs> anyway uh matt you're up dude oh boy all right this one is from mike he says i'm planning to build a crib for my son coming in may congratulations mike i grabbed this question because i recently built a crib so i thought i would answer it for you i want to build this thing to be able to be taken apart and store it easily i'm concerned about trading the knockdown ability with structural integrity especially given its intended use do you have any advice with designing for knockdown hardware designing furniture with knockdown hardware so for my crib when i designed it i i designed the the frame to come together as morrison tenons and i pegged those um tenons i guess with brass pins because the brass pins can be just backed out at any point and then the tenons come out of the mortises and you can take it down and put it away and whatever i use brass because i figured it'd be easy to pop out of the holes you could probably use wood or some other pin material um, of course, there's other knockdown hardware you can use. You can use um, what those things called the uh, the furniture bolts with the threaded inserts. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how strong those ones are compared to like something like well, definitely not as strong as like a cross dowel or um, barrel nut is what they're also called. That's going to be even stronger. And then you have the other option as well is you can do you can actually thread the holes in the in the piece itself and put like a bolt in it. So for my adjustable um, The mattress platform that's actually attached to the legs with a socket cap screw which threads directly into a hole in the leg and i think i'm guessing depending on how deep you go if you tap a hole in wood it's probably going to be a little bit stronger than as far as as far as pull out force goes than like a threaded insert
0: i would love for someone to do some tests with that because yeah. I was surprised when I did my first threading in what I'm like this is a lot stronger than people would give this credit for oh yeah, yeah that's, that's ridiculous true. you know and then I guess the question is over time expansion contraction could there be complications with it that that are unknowns but ultimately right off the bat I would love someone to do some testing to see uh, pull apart strength what, what kind of strength you have threading directly
2: yeah I would too that's, that's that's part of it too is like you have to look at the the way these things are being stressed as well Cause you have like the shear force on these things Mm -hmm. and you have the pullout force. So on my bed frame thing, I don't really have a lot of pullout force. I have a lot of shear force because the way the bolts are set up, the frame is resting on them. So you're really just putting all the pressure on the bolts themselves. Mm -hmm. So you have like all that shear strength there. That's why I went with that with, with the, um, the bed frame because you you can support the weight and my wife, my baby and me were all in the crib one night, just hanging out. No problem. (laughs) No creaking. Nothing. Perfect. It's it's comfy. (laughs) <clears throat> nice.
0: All mm-hmm. right, Shannon, you're up.
1: I'm just picturing the three of you in the crib.
0: I know, I've seen pictures of you in the crib, I didn't see pictures of all three of you in the crib. That I think you, it's
2: one on my Instagram from like it? a few months ago. I'm going to yeah.
0: I'm going to look now. Go ahead, Shannon, while I think.
2: <laughs> nice. All right,
1: this comes from Scott. He says, "Should I buy mortise chisels or will regular bench chisels uh have uh will regular bench chisels do?" He does say that he has a set of Narex from Lee Valley. Um <clears throat> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh the 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 thing you have to think about certainly regular bench chisels will be just fine for chopping out mortises um and i definitely recommend you know if you've already got a set of, of bench chisels do it that way first but traditional mortise chisels and i'm i'm well i mean whether you're going with uh the regular square ones, like you can buy, a traditional woodworker or a Lee Nielsen, or you're going with the English pattern that has a more of a trapezoidal cross section and has the big um, offset turned handle.
0: <laughs> I found it. <laughs> there it is. Sorry to interrupt. Nice. Go ahead. Nice. Is there a <laughs> caption that says, "Okay, now how do we get out of here"? I yeah. just, I just hearted it.
1: <laughs> um, anyway, the 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 point being. Certainly mortise chisels are going to be beefier so they can take a little bit more of a pounding. But I think that's less important because you really shouldn't be pounding that much when you're cutting a mortise anyway. Uh, You're probably trying to remove too much material and your mortise chisel probably isn't very sharp. But the biggest thing that helps when you've got that square or even that trapezoidal kind of beefy cross section is it actually will help you keep that mortise square to the surface. It gives you more of a visual reference plus it will... um, if you get it started square, it will kind of ride on that, if you if you will. Because you've got a, a wider surface area, uh, it stays straight. It stays vertical more than just that narrow edge of the bench chisel. Ultimately, if you're going to do a lot of cutting, chopping mortises by hand, I think you'll end up doing them faster with a mortise chisel and probably more accurately with a mortise chisel. But if you've never done it before, there's no reason to go out and buy a mortise chisel right now so that you can chop your first mortise. I think that's a, a little silly. Um, a bench chisel will work just fine. You might want to have a slightly higher bevel angle on it. So if you've got it set at like 25 degrees or you know lower than that for paring, you're probably going to you know, bend over that edge a little bit more. 35 degrees I think would probably be a good idea uh, for um, any kind of heavy-duty chopping. But yeah, no reason to go buy anything new, my friend. Stick you know, with what you got.
0: I've got a the set of mortise chisels, and I love using them for that. Like if I need to square up a mortise and you're, you're so right, just the extra reference surface and giving me something that's blocky and square to begin mm-hmm. with, it's such a perfect representation for what the corner of that thing should look like. But what I find is I, I really use those for nothing else. Like, the, that's yeah. the only thing I use them for. Like, everything else, I just find my regular bench chisels to be more appropriate for. Um, but when you are doing that one little task, that's the one time that I go, Yeah, there's nothing that does this better than these mortising chisels. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of the way
1: it is with a lot of hand tools. You yeah, know, you yeah. can do so much with just a regular bench chisel, a jack plane, and like a backsaw. I don't care what backsaw it is, but it's all these little specialty tools that make things just a little bit easier, a little bit more repeatable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it sits on your shelf nine times out of ten but you know if you're making a stickly piece of furniture you know and you got a lot of mortises to chop first of all <clears throat> I didn't just say this but you might want to get a hollow chisel mortiser if you're doing stickly <laughs> a lot of mortises <laughs> <laughs> there um, it is but you know it, it's that will make a huge difference. You know, yeah. when you want to make sure that that mortise is, is dead square and, and formed perfectly, the mortise chisel, that's why it's called a mortise chisel, will do a better job than a general all purpose bench chisel. Yeah. But, you know, I, the, the reason I say this is just because so many people are like, well, I'm waiting to buy mortise chisels before I tackle that project. I hear that too much. You know, I'm waiting to get this before I build that project. And that's just dumb.
0: Mm. That's dumb, people. Don't be dumb. dumb. Don't be like that dumb guy. Cool. All right, well, uh, I think we can get into uh, Well, uh, that's actually the end of the show, isn't it? That is. going to say well, hello. What are we going to get into? We're, We're going to get into, like into a Wood Talk t-shirt, and so should Yeah, you. I'm about to get into some dinner, tell you that much. Uh, so if you want to support the show, you can. You could set up a recurring or a one-time donation. Just go to woodtalkshow.com, look in the right-hand column, and you'll see the links hanging out over there. You could also pick yourself up a Wood Talk t-shirt at twwstore.com. And if you want, you could leave us a review in iTunes. Just uh, look us up in the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and leave us a couple of kind words and some sweet little orange stars, just like uh, Deacon Woodworks and, uh, no. Is it? No. Nope. It's weird. He says M.W.B. Morley, and then titles the subject of the review, Deacon Woodworks. So that's confusing to me. Uh, the other one is dev- uh, Dovetails and dados. Uh, so this Deacon Woodworks fella says, Mark, Shannon, and Newcomer Matt are absolutely a blast. Their lighthearted banter and knowledge of the woodworking craft is bar none the best out there. Hmm, thank you so much. I'm going to click a yes. You get a yes that was helpful. Awesome. Uh, and Shannon, why don't you give him the contact info and we can get out of here. Okay. Okay. Oh, you mean now? Okay.
1: Uh, Now comments questions or topic suggestions you have several ways to contact us you can leave a voicemail on skype our username is woodtalk line wood talk line, wood, wood talk line. Ooh, wood talk online. no it isn't <laughs> our username <laughs> is woodtalk online the vandalists the are taking over i yeah. can't read it now <laughs> uh, call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180 or use our fancy schmancy contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact Go figure. Um, Or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. Um, Yeah. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or any of our previous episodes, you can find them at woodtalkshow.com. You know, uh, sorry, stupid phone. I was just going to say there's a couple of other websites woodwhisper.com, renaissancewoodworker.com, and mattcremona.com. We're there too. Matt used to
0: only read that every four shows yeah I know I, but I like reading it every show people need to know you know where they could find us so, well,
1: I keep reading it because there's this there's new Matt that people right. need to know how people, to find new Matt yeah. I think they know how to find you and I but uh,
0: maybe not you never know some, sometimes people find the show it's new to them they have no idea Who knows? Uh, by the way I'm getting lost in this Instagram explore section and oh boy there's some pictures there let me tell you they got nothing <laughs> yeah. to do with woodworking hello alright uh, well thanks for listening everybody and we'll <laughs> catch you next time